Dr. Rob Silver was raised in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. He attended Columbia University and earned a bachelor's degree in animal science, a master's degree in cardiopulmonary physiology, and his DVM from Colorado State University. After graduation, he worked as a relief veterinarian in the Denver, Colorado area and taught in a veterinary technician program as well. After relocating to Colorado Springs, Colorado to work in an emergency practice, he started a house call practice that evolved into a brick and mortar practice. He started prescribing his patients home-cooked diets and herbal medicines. He was certified by IVIS in 1993 and began teaching Chinese herbal medicine courses with Jake Fratkin and Dr. Shen Shea. That same year, he also relocated to Boulder, Colorado, opening a new practice, Boulder's Natural Animal. In 1994, Dr. Silver became the chief medical officer for RX Vitamins, where he formulated 40 products for the veterinary market. He sold his practice in 2013, and the next year launched the Well Pet Dispensary website, which is still in operation. He served as chief veterinary officer for Folium Biosciences, a vertically integrated hemp company. In 2015, Dr. Silver published the groundbreaking text, Medical Marijuana and Your Pet, which has served as a guide to both veterinarians and animal caretakers alike since it was published. Dr. Silver has served as a board member of the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association and as the president of both the Veterinary Botanical Medical Association and the American College of Veterinary Botanical Medicine. He is also an adjunct faculty member at both Lincoln Memorial and Chi University. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Rob Silver as we discuss his introduction to veterinary medicine on a kibbutz, his early practice years and immersion into holistic medicine, his new position as the chief veterinary officer for Real Mushrooms, and his upcoming webinars for CIVT. Dr. Silver, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, Neil, it's great to be here. Hey, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, Went to high school there, graduated a long time ago, 1967 from high school. And uh, from there, went away to college in New York City. What did you study there? I uh, I started out um, liberal arts. It was Columbia University, and uh, they're big on you know, a basic general liberal arts education, which I kind of like the idea. And they kind of you learn the classics and then you kind of learn um, history through the classics and social studies through the classics and things like that um, but that was a time of great unrest that was the time of the Vietnam War and all the the protests um, at Columbia they shut the university down my freshman year so it was pretty disruptive I I tried to continue I eventually just said I this is enough and I it was uh you know the, the 60s <laughs> I headed west with flowers in my hair and uh passed through Colorado and fell in love with it. And after traveling around a bit more, wound up settling down here in Colorado and continued my education, finished up my bachelor's at Colorado State University, this time in animal science and got a, tried to get into vet school. But my grades from Columbia when I left were pretty poor. So it took me a number of years. I got a master's degree in the process and um, finally got my DVM in 82 from Colorado State University. When did the idea of being a veterinarian hit home with you? Well, that was an interesting process as well. I I had, my parents had been wanting me to become a medical doctor. And um, although I think that probably would have been a 
good path for me. At the time, I just couldn't conceive working on people. You know, I just um, just couldn't conceive it. Working on animals seemed much more consistent with my heart space and my sensitivities. So um, I went uh, in '69. Uh, my folks um, took a, took the family to Israel. I'm, I'm Jewish, and and um, I was kind of a hippie then. And you know, it's 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 known amongst Jewish that if you take your kid to Israel, maybe it'll straighten them out. You know, go in the army <laughs> or something like that. Um, but um, it it did actually. I, I wound up staying there. I sent them home. They were there for ten days. I stayed for a year. And I worked on a uh, on one of the on the kibbutz on the collective farm, and there on the kibbutz in Israel, I uh, worked with a French veterinarian, and the only language we shared in common was was actually French, my high school French, and um, helped him, and you know, and that was when it kind of hit me. Oh, I can do this. I you know, work helping animals, healing animals. So that was kind of where I got my start. And then when I came home, I. Um, was looking at where I would go to school, but um, didn't really want to go locally on the East Coast. So I, I was so I was so fond of Colorado from having passed through there before. Um, I went back to Colorado and 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 dug down my roots and uh, finished my bachelor's degree, got a master's degree in the process because it was hard to get into vet school at that time. It took me five applications over seven years, and uh, so I got a master's degree and then finally got my DVM. And then, and then went into practice. So, um, I, I know you got your bachelor's in animal science. Was it, uh, that was probably one of the only options as far as a major pre vet major back then, right? Uh, I think a lot did microbiology. Some did biochemistry as far as that, but yeah, it was, it was, it was the actual, it was the veterinary tract within the animal science department because you know, they've got production and they've got research and then they've got sort of the, the veterinary track. So um, it was good. It was it was good to get a good basis, you know, in um, livestock management, feeds and feeding, you know, a lot of different things that are part of the husbandry of animals, whether they be, you know, farm animals or domestic animals. There's a lot of similarities. I think it gave me a really good basis, you know, a good practical basis to to start out in animal science there before getting my veterinary degree. I bet. I mean, to roll back to Columbia. I I, I'm of the opinion, I, I'd like to hear yours about the, uh, the value of liberal arts studies. I mean, I think it's really a critical part of a, a pre-veterinary studies program would be that critical thinking. Well, you know, I think what's happening in our culture is, you know, this hyper-specialization, you know, and everyone's wanting to find, you know, a, a little pathway that's maybe an inch wide, a mile deep that they can specialize in. And, um, and we're not, and we're losing the generalists, you know, and the generalists really have, you know, this overview of, of things. And, and so I, I tend to be that sort of a, you know, a visionary overview, looking at the big picture and then trying to dig down to the details from there. And so in that case, I think the liberal arts education was, was very valuable for me. And, you know, and I'm more than just a veterinarian, you know, I've got, I've got artistic, you know, abilities and I'm interested in literature and I like cooking and there's all these other aspects of me that aren't veterinary, you know, and, and so to, to just neglect that part of you, I think makes you less than a whole person. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So what'd you do your master's in? It was in um, cardiopulmonary physiology um, in the uh, 
physiology and biophysics department at Colorado State University, <clears throat> where I finished my, got my undergraduate as well. And um, it was basically a biophysics degree. I was working with some bioengineers on early Doppler technology. And I was working with an electrical engineer in particular, and I was taught how to use a machine lathe and do all these, this detailed um, um, electrical electronics, you know, um, soldering and stuff, because we were building our own devices to use ultrasound to try to measure cardiac output in these growing puppies. That's what my master's was in, was uh, measuring the, the, the developing cardiac output in, um, in beagle puppies from eight to, um, eight to eight weeks to 16 weeks of age using a probe, an esophageal probe. This was early ultrasound technology. So the probe would go down the esophagus and then it could shoot across the esophagus to the heart where um, it could then measure the output from the aortic arch. And um, it was very early stuff these days that's so much easier with their, you know, with all the, the higher, um, the, the, the M mode. And that was B mode at the time. That would be M mode now with, with modern ultrasound imaging, you know, which is just amazing. You bet. Did you enjoy that research? I did. I did. I like research a lot. And I really thought that when I went into practice, I would um, practice for a few years to give myself some clinical grounding and then go back into research again. Because I, I really think that even with basic research, I think it's really good to be grounded in reality, grounded in practical realities and clinical issues. And um, But I found myself fascinated by the by the process of practice you know the the mystery that each patient presents you when they walk in that door and 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 how you, and the the steps that you take the the methods that you use to unravel that mystery and figure out what's wrong with that critter and then to figure out how you can help it you know and i i just it really it got to me and i i never went back to get an another research degree or go into research. Now, now that I'm working, um, you know, kind of in more with companies and more with industry, I'm actually reaching out to companies and working with them to, to develop um, research studies and kind of getting back. Cause now I'm not seeing patients anymore now that I've retired from practice and working with companies. So now I'm getting back into the research aspects and, and it's a, uh, it's cool. It's, it's, it's way cool. <laughs> Get to explore that a little bit later in life. Not yeah, that. yeah, well, a lot later in life. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of practice did you go in after graduation? Well, I um, I graduated in '82, and there was a quite a recession going on at the time. It was hard to find a full time position, so I started working in the the Denver area um, doing uh, relief work, and, and there was an advantage to that in a sense in that I got to. I got to learn how many different veterinarians would approach the same problems, you know, two or three different techniques for cleaning ears and this type of surgical procedure for spaying versus this one. So I got to kind of pick and choose amongst the different, you know, veterinaries with each veterinary practice that I worked at and learned from each of their, you know, from their vets ways of doing things. And so I think it really added to my skills, you know, in the long run. Um, and then, um, and then I got a, a, an offer to teach at Colorado Mountain College up on the Western Slope, up by Glenwood Springs, teaching the animal technology program. And so I went up and did that for a year and then, um, and then got a job in Colorado Springs working in an emergency clinic. And from there, established my own house call practice um, in the Colorado Springs area. 
And that was when I first got my first taste of a holistic medicine. Um, I joined an, an herb group there back then, the Pikes Peak Herb Association, and we did herb walks, identification. We learned how to make medicines out of herbs. And I also um, started getting requests from clients to teach them how to do homemade diets. I had, hadn't really thought about that. You know, in vet school, we learn pretty much cookie cutter nutrition. It's dietetics, really, you know, which diet, which commercial diets available to use for which situation, never creating it from scratch. So I really got, I got good at that. I did quite a bit of that and, and learned through trial and error and through learning, you know, and through nutritional science, you know, how to create these good homemade diets. And I was amazed, you know, because I wanted to get into learning more of these holistic modalities of time. That's one reason I was looking at, 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 at herbs, uh, but I really didn't have a lot of hands on. And yet patients would come to me with these complicated conditions that I, I wasn't sure how to get started on them. And so with each and every one of them, I would start with diet. I would start with a homemade diet. At the time, I didn't even do it raw. You know, they were cooked. I, I used a lot of the information from uh, Richard Pitcairn's first book, you know, um, Natural Care for Dogs and Cats, the 1982 edition, which was the year of my graduation. And, um, and I was amazed at how well these patients who had these chronic diseases started to actually get better. And that gave me my first clue that some of the things that we've been taught in vet school that were that supposedly were really valuable, like don't let them eat anything else other than the kibble and only don't switch diets and all that stuff. Um, I found that that wasn't really true for many patients, that many would thrive and do so much better if they got some real food with, you know, uh, with, a, a, uh, with plenty of micronutrients in it, you know, unprocessed. So um, that was, um, it was, it was, you know, really in many ways I, I learned on the job, you know, and um, each patient was a lesson for me. And it was, it was a very, very, a very growing time for me in terms of my, my, my um, philosophy of medical practice, you know. Were you making herbal medicines then for your patients? Um, I was getting started with it. You know, I, I was at first I was identifying um, herbs and making uh, alcohol tinctures for myself and then started looking at um, making them for my patients or finding, you know, existing formulations that were there. There wasn't a, as much, you know, this was 80, 84, you know, there just was not that much available commercially as, you know. So, yeah, I had to make stuff up myself. And so it was a learning process. And that's really where I got a lot of my hands on with herbal medicine was just down the trenches doing it, you know. Yeah. What kind of environment was Colorado Springs? Was it pretty progressive? Well, Colorado Springs is where the Air Force Academy is and Fort Carson and Pete Field and the uh, the Space Force and all that stuff. It's a pretty conservative area. A lot of a lot of military there. A lot of very conservative folks. And so I, it wasn't exactly the ideal site to explore um, holistic medicine. In fact, I, and I was got involved and in, I was interested in some energetics and crystals and things like that. And and it was also a pretty strong evangelical Christian environment there. And I started getting some some nasty phone calls and things like that because I was practicing kind of outside the box. So it was it was a, it, at times it was a struggle down there to do that. But I and I kept at it. And um, 
got a good reputation. My house call practice was featured on the news a number of times. Quite got quite busy. I then had to establish a, a stationary practice because I, you know, you need to do things with them, take X-rays, and hospitalize them for treatments and stuff. Um, so I wouldn't say it was a very progressive town at all. It still isn't. Uh, but you know, in those kinds of environments, you have a polarity. You know, there actually was a very strong. Um, you know, I guess I'd call it maybe a countercultural, at least the culture of Colorado Springs, a little strong countercultural community there that I, I resonated with. And, and really, they tended to use my services quite a bit. So, you know, in, in, every, in every cloud, there's a silver lining. You bet. So what took you to Boulder? Um, you know, um, I, I, I was taking some herb classes in Boulder. From some because Boulder is a, a hot seat of herbal education and and you know world class herbalists and so I, I wanted to expand my education and there weren't those many offerings in the Springs area so I started going up and taking classes and um, and I started and and the practitioners I was taking the classes from or practitioners in the class because these were classes with other with acupuncturists and herbalists and chiropractors and no veterinarians. And um, they'd say to me, why don't you come up to Boulder? We're always getting asked by our clients to work on their animals and we don't really want to, you know, come yeah. on up here. We'll refer them to you. And so, you know, it was, it was a struggle in the Springs. And um, so, yeah, so I moved up to, to Boulder in 1993, 92, 93, something like that. And, um, and I found it to be a really welcoming community veterinarians in Colorado Springs where they were kind of competitive with each other and not at least maybe it was just because I was the hippie vet, but um, you know, it, they were kind of competitive and they weren't that friendly to me. And up here in Boulder, you know, there's a lot of cooperation amongst the veterinarians. It was really pleasant to be part of their local associations and go to their meetings and people were friendly, you know, it was, it was very pleasant. So, um, you know, I started out with a renting space in a, in another in, a, in another practice, uh, a sur- it's a surgery practice, so they didn't have that much traffic, and um, used their services and paid them percentages and built my practice. And then, and then um, things changed, and I found a stationary uh, a location in a in a um, um, shopping mall where I could um, set up a, a practice. And that practice is still thriving. I had that practice for nearly twenty years before I sold it in twenty ten, and um, and I and it was integrative in nature and was very popular and um, saw a lot of patients. Worked really hard, learned a lot. <laughs> when did uh, when did you do your acupuncture training then? Um, well, I finally was able to be able to spare the time and to afford the cost. Um, in 1992, I got my um, um, certification through IVAS. Um, in 1993 um, with acupuncture. And so that was a big addition to um, my um, my skills and my tools and my modalities. Um, I wanted to go on to get chiropractic, but I just couldn't find the time, couldn't find the money. And, and my acupuncture was working really well, but even more so than the acupuncture was my interest in Chinese herbs. And um, one of the classes I went to up here in Boulder was being taught by a fellow named Jake Fratkin. And turns out Jake and I actually had some history because we grew up together. We, we grew up in parallel paths in Philadelphia. 
And um, so I kind of mentored under him and learned quite a bit with him. And um, and then we wound up teaching uh, the first basic course in Chinese herbal medicine here in Boulder. Shen Shei um, team taught with us. This was before Steve Marston emerged on the scene. And um, and Jake Fratkin taught and um, and it was a it was a good time. It was a it was a good class, and it was just the very beginnings. Shen was in the process of putting together his Qi Institute at the time. He was developing the lesson lesson plans and using them in this basic course for Chinese herbal medicine. So um, it was good. It was good. Learned a lot. So what did you do after you sold the practice? I sat around in my jammies for a year. <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out what I was going to do. Cause you know, every morning you get up, you think, you know, you're used to it. You go to work, you practice for 25 years. You, you know, you, what else is there to do in the morning, but get up, get dressed and go down there and deal with it all. So it took me a while to just kind of decompress. And, and I looked around trying to figure out what things I wanted to do next. And I'd spoken with a lot of vets who had uh, developed websites and online courses. And, and that looked like something very attractive to me because I, I, at the time I was kind of burned out on practice and wanted to do something that wasn't quite so time intensive, at least in terms of being someplace else all day long. So I did that. I established a, a, a website that still is thriving today. We run it out of my home. It's called Well Pet Dispensary. And, um, and I also had, I, I neglected to mention that wait, that somewhere back there, about 1996 or so, I was contacted by RX Vitamins, who recruited me to be their chief medical officer to formulate their products. And so I've been doing that while I've been working full time in practice, trying to build up my financial pressure head, so to speak. Um, and um, so when I sold the practice, I had in my mind, to devote most of my time to building my relationship with RX Vitamins and with the veterinarians through RX Vitamins, because I saw I see industry as a as a tool for me to use to help our profession to create products that are um, useful um, to veterinarians and and useful in terms of their effectiveness in pets, and also to use um, this to provide to be able to provide postgraduate education to teach veterinarians. You know, being sponsored by the companies. Um, you know, in a non-marketing um, way to to teach to teach postgraduate education, so veterinarians can learn more about the value of integrating nutraceuticals and herbs and healthy diet into their practices. And I focused more, I focused less on the holistic veterinary um, group and more on the conventional veterinarians because that really was the business model for Rx Vitamins. And it turned out to be a really good thing because it, 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 I think I really did do quite a bit of good work helping conventional veterinarians understand that there is legitimate science that, and, and that underlies the use of our nutraceuticals. And, um, and I think that kind of got things moving in general. I, I'd like to credit myself with helping move our, um, our practitioners forward to use more herbs and nutraceuticals and integrate them in with their conventional um, therapeutics. Nice. Uh, so, and shortly thereafter, if, if my timeline's right, you you published your book, your first book. Well, I you know, okay. So um, I was very curious when I started reading about the legalization of medical marijuana, and I really, I quite honestly, I didn't believe it, but 
Colorado was on the forefront of that, and I started seeing the changes in the town in Boulder around me with opening, with dispensaries opening, and with the law changing, and being able to grow your own cannabis in your backyard. And so I started learning more. And at first, I, I didn't really think that cannabis had medical properties. I thought it was just a you know kind of a get high thing. Um, but then I, I went to the literature, you know, cause when they started talking about using it med- medically and I was amazed at how much there was in the literature supporting its use. And so that's when I started educating myself on it and started, um, uh, sharing it with my patients and, and we're seeing some pretty good successes with it. And so as a result of that, um, I wrote the book, the first book, medical marijuana and your pet was published in 2015. Team, self-published and it's been a pretty good book but it's it's old now it's it's there's a lot of old stuff in it things that we didn't know we've got plenty of studies now that help support how to give it how much to give it what things it's good for what are the you know the pharmacological mechanisms of actions things that myself as kind of a science nerd just love and so i started teaching in that realm and getting involved in uh, i worked with a, a, a hemp grower a large hemp grower in colorado and worked with them developing products and learning how things are made and quality control and everything else um and i'm currently nearly finished my second book which is an upgrade to the first one but not quite the same and uh, it's going to it will incorporate everything all the studies and research and everything i've learned practically and will help to educate the pet parent it's probably going to be a pretty good entry um and an, uh, an entry level book for veterinarians uh, because i also include information in it about the use of thc uh, because I'm very concerned, you know, with all these states that are now opening up having legal adult access um, cannabis, which means THC, that, you know, we're seeing more and more pets are being sent to the ER for THC excesses, you know, and and veterinarians at the same time were being forbidden from talking about it. You know, it's like it's stupid. You know, what else can I say? It's stupid. And um, because we're there, we're supposed to be pre- preventing harm. You know, that's our that's our one of our purposes, help help the animals get well and prevent harm. And if we can't talk to the public about the value and the risks of using THC and how to use THC safely, because it can be used safely, you just have to titrate it up slowly to develop tolerance. So that's what the second book is about. Because I want to be able to give guidance to veterinarians. I want to be able to give guidance to pet owners so they can be safe and they can be effective when they're going to dispensary to getting something for their pets. So there's a whole section in it about selecting dispensary products. There's a a pet health guide where I I go into six common health conditions that, that are treatable based on studies with cannabis. And then I give conventional uh, treatments and, you know, and then the integrative treatments and the cannabis treatments and kind of, so it's a, a, I'm pretty excited about it. It's really a pretty good book. And then with this most recent development of my uh, leaving RX vitamins and now being with Real Mushrooms, a, a Canadian mushroom company where I'm developing their product lines, I'm in, I'm extending the book to include several chapters on the use of medical mushrooms in our pets for various conditions as well. So I'm kind of excited. It's taken forever to write the stupid thing. You know, it's like every time I think I'm getting close to it, something, some new new thing comes up that I've got to do first before I get back to the book. But I'm getting there. It's getting close. I've got about 210 pages in it. I think there's probably another 80 to 100 pages left and I'll be done. Did you... Um... <clears throat> 
<clears throat> with that first book, did you just kind of, did you lay that aside? Has it just been sitting or is this an upgrade kind of always been in the back of your mind and you've been kind of at least mentally ticking away at the, the changes with research and, and that sort of thing with the idea that you'd re-release an update? Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's really not an update of the first book. The first book is good. And we still have it available for sale on my my website as an ebook, and we also have the softbound if people want that. But it's outdated, you know. A lot of the information we I just didn't know when I wrote it, and now we know. And so I've contributed four chapters in two in two veterinary textbooks on cannabis, on products, on dosages, on the endocannabinoid system, on the nutrition of 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 cannabis and hemp. And so in the process of writing all of that technical information, you know, I've developed a real armamentarium of data. And, and, and so by taking that same information and yeah, not dumbing it down much, but just making the language a little simpler um, and putting it in a more easy to read format, I've taken that information and I've put it into this new book. So it's well researched. I've got a ton of footnote. I've got a ton of citations in this book as well. I know, you know, it's hard to judge the consumer. You know, many consumers are citizen scientists these days, and they want all that information. And I keep hearing some people say, "Oh, it's too technical," but you know, I think you know if you, I think people who are interested in this really want to know the details. And so I've got it well researched, well documented, and I think it's well written. At least it seems that way to me. <laughs> Do you enjoy the writing? I do, I do, uh, but it, it's it's like a special space I get into. I can't just you know go up to the computer and start writing. I have to get into a place where it's creative, and then when I do, it's almost like I'm channeling. I don't really know. <laughs> to use a funny term. I, I do. I don't really. I don't really know where some of it comes from. Sometimes when I read it later, I go, "Who the hell wrote that?" <laughs> That's nice. just, you know. It, but it is. It is kind of nice. I'm like, wow, that was really something. You wrote that, Rob. That's great. It is. It is. It's fun. It's fun. So what circumstances led you to the chief veterinary officer position with uh, Real Mushrooms? Well, Arts Vitamins um, sold to a lar- was sold to a large multinational corporation, and, and I didn't really fit into their corporate plan once they purchased it. So they let me go. Um, you know, I'm sad to see them go. I really, you know, those those 40 formulas I made for them over those 25 years are in many ways my life's work. And I know many veterinarians still use them every day, finding them very helpful for their practice, but you know, you got to move on. And so I've been working with uh, the founder of Real Mushrooms, Jeff Chilton, uh, who has, who they actually cultivate their mushrooms as well, because I'm so interested in mushrooms. And so when, you know, when one door closed, I called him up and said, hey, you know, you think you might want to set up a, might want to establish a pet line for um, real mushrooms. And they go, yeah, in fact, we've actually just got started, but come on board. So um, that was about a year ago, a little less, little more than a year ago, but close to it. And we're pretty nearly ready to launch the first group of products in this, in this pet line. We're going to be launching them on the 15th of March. And uh, then we've got a couple more, about five or eight more after that, that we're going to be um, coming down with. It's taking some time to put them together, um, get the labeling and, you know, get all the regulatory issues together. But um, I think they should be pretty good. And they're, you know, mushrooms have really, you know, in many ways, mushrooms are a lot like cannabis. You know, they're very complex 
organisms. They have multitudes of ingredients in them, both of them, both cannabis and mushrooms, multitudes of ingredients that have very good bioactivity for medicinal purposes, you know, and that work synergistically within our system. They have, you know, one, you know, they, they got what we've got one mushroom that's psychoactive. We've got one molecule of the cannabis plant that's psychoactive. And, and for some reason in people's minds, they tend to associate cannabis and mushrooms. That's probably from the recreational realm. But there is a lot of similarities, and I can also see blending the two together, you know, using them as a two-pronged therapy for many things. You know, um, I don't think we'll be using CBD or any kind of cannabis extracts in for real mushrooms. They're a Canadian company, and the cross-border issues um, right now between Canada and the U.S. regarding um, cannabis and hemp is pretty difficult as far as getting things in one direction or the other. So we'll probably just stick with mushrooms and then make it make give it. I'll give advice as far as blending in um, can, cannabinoids with the mushroom extracts. Has it been uh, professionally reinvigorating to kind of make this swing into a deep dive into mushrooms? It is. It's it's very invigorating. It's exciting. This is a great company. I mean, I, real mushrooms. It's I, I've I've never worked with a company so well organized and so conscious and so aware. And you know, and it's it's just it's really a pleasure. It's really a pleasure to work with them. Right now, it's a heck of a lot of work because you know we're just rushing to try to get these deadlines met. But um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. They're very education forward. They're having me do webinars and give talks at veterinary conferences. And and um, and they're also going to fund me to do some research. Uh, many people, most people probably don't know that mushrooms can be a source, a very good source of vitamin D2. And um, they've developed a vitamin D2. It's totally organic. It's totally vegan from shiitake mushroom. And so they're funding me to do some studies to show that to show how we can use the D2 with the same effectiveness as the D3, which is not vegetarian. It comes, you know, D3 is vitamin D3 comes from the grease of sheep wool, lanolin, that then is irradiated and converted into vitamin D3. So it's not very organic. It's not very vegan. And um and I think this is a better product. Plus, we're going to do a safety study. You know, when whenever I talk to veterinarians about mushrooms, the first thing they say is, oh, they're poisonous. And so we need to show in black and white with data, you know, that mushrooms are not toxic. So we'll probably use turkey tail, which right now is probably the most popular mushroom out there. A lot of, a lot of uh, pet parents and veterinarians are suggesting it's used for cancer. And it's the higher doses of turkey tail that seem to be more effective for cancer. And in humans, it's been shown doses even a hundred times higher than what's normal are safe, but we don't have that stuff in dogs. And uh, cats will be a little harder to do just getting it into them. So we're going to do a study in dogs, a safety study with turkey tail as well. So it's really cool. You know, I mean, we talked before about my, my interest in research, and it's nice to be with a company that wants to help fund me in that direction. Because research takes money. Sounds wonderful. Mm -hmm. Rob, I think this is probably a good place to leave it. Wow. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for for chatting with me. I love to hear your story. And thank you for all your contributions to our medicine over the years. And I'm really looking forward to your partnership with Real Mushrooms and uh, with CIVT. Absolutely. Yes. I, uh, we, and maybe we should talk about that just a little bit. I am planning on um, producing two webinars for CIVT on 
the use of medical mushrooms in our pets. That'll have um, some studies and, and information about individual mushrooms and a lot of evidence-based material in it. Uh, I'm not, I don't quite have a date for those yet, but I'm working hard to get that content together for you guys. And, and CIVT has also asked me to do some online courses, and I am working on that as well. Um, I've got about 30 pages right now on my document, about 50 citations, so I'm getting that together. And as soon as I get closer to where I can give you guys a predictive, you know, launch date for each of those, um, the content for each of those things, we'll, we'll start talking about that some more. Well, I, for one, am really looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you so much for your um, support of what I'm doing, Neil. I really appreciate it. You are welcome. Well, Rob, I hope to see you in person soon. Me too. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.